The Money Show. Other people's money. If you are a person of a certain age, you will remember the term walkies. Sit. And describe it to, it's a terrible impression of Barbara Woodhouse, who is the first animal behavioralist I ever came across. She was on television in South Africa, probably in the 1980s. Um, and she was an eccentric Englishwoman who really, in those days, understood animals. And she helped probably millions of people around the world better understand their animals. Karis uh, Nafti is nothing like Barbara Woodhouse, I'm delighted to say, but she is an animal behavior expert. She's an accredited family mediator. And I bumped into her the other day and she sparked an idea. And I thought, you know what we'd do with other people's money? New jingle, please, producers. Make note. Is we need to turn it into something more practical for you because there are so many interesting jobs in the world and so many people are really unsure about what they're going to do with their lives one day. And they go off and they study law or they do accounting or they do psychology or they do... Uh, journalism, um, or they do say, you know, other useful things like that. And they get to a point where they don't want to be a journalist or an accountant or a lawyer. But what they've learned in their studies is immensely applicable to a whole plethora of potential job options. And if you've got a job that is unusual, and I would suggest that pet custody mediator... <laughs> Pet custody mediator, Karis Nafti's job is one of those that is more on the unusual spectrum. So tonight, with Karis in studio with us uh, tonight, and just talk a bit about the background, the training, the skills, how you do it, what you do, and if she's feeling generous, what she gets paid. Or ballpark figures as to what one might expect on an hourly basis, for example. I don't know. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. This is a work in progress. Karis Nafti, welcome to The Money Show. Uh, an animal behavioralist. Um, we kind of think of people like horse whisperers and dog whisperers and those sorts of people as being a little bit woohoo out with the fairies. Um, you, however, have, and by based on personal experience, because I've seen you do it, a, a very good sense of the signals animals are giving off all the time. Where did it start? What was your training? So, hi, Bruce. Hi to the listeners. I'm so glad to be here tonight. I started training dogs when I was 16 years old. Okay. And this was back in the States when I was yeah, a very young kid, really. And I was very fortunate to learn from a fantastic trainer who took me under her wing and kind of taught me everything she knew. And so it is, when I tell people I'm a dog behaviorist, they often don't know what on earth that is. So the easiest way I can describe it, if I were to put it into a nutshell, is that people call me when something is wrong with their dog. So I'm not a vet. It's not about, medic it's not about medical issues. But if their dog is doing something that is a struggle, that they're confused by, so if your dog is chasing your cat, or your dog is peeing on your couch, or your dog is chewing up your couch, or all of the above, or you can't house train a puppy, or maybe you've got two dogs and you want them to live together, but you don't know how to do it. Maybe your dog is very, very aggressive. Maybe your dog runs away every time you open the gate. So anything you can imagine, anything literally you can imagine a dog might do, I can help people with. And animal behaviorists and dog behaviorists, we study, okay, so we're not magical, and it's not like we really, really love dogs a lot, but we study the science of animal behavior, of the social signals that animals give off. In the same way that we've studied chimps, and we can talk about the social signals that chimps give off to mm -hmm. each other, 
Dogs are exactly the same. And when you study those signals and you can understand how dogs can learn the way that they communicate with us, we can fix and we can improve even the most difficult challenge people are having with their dog's behavior. And what happens a lot in my dog behavior work is people will just say something to me, they'll be describing their dog, and they will reach the point where they no longer understand their dog and they just say, oh, my dog's just, he's just naughty. He's just a stupid dog. He's just a naughty dog. And I know at that moment, what they're really saying is, my dog is doing something. I don't know what to do about it. I don't, I no longer understand it. But rather than, rather than having the awareness of that, I'm just going to say, oh, he's just, a, he's just a naughty dog. And at that point, moment, I can come in and say, no, he's not just a naughty dog. Um, he's very stressed, and this is how he's showing it. Or maybe he's got anxiety issues of some sort. Maybe he's just not trained, and we just have to teach him what the word come means because he doesn't know. So mm-hmm. that's sort of my, my background in dogs and cats and parrots but mostly dogs <laughs> how, how often <laughs> yes, because yes parrots no matter how often i say come here polly yes it just doesn't happen um uh, how often is the problem the dog because you know where i'm going with that question yeah i do know where you're going <laughs> with that question um the problem's never the dog the, the problem might be the dog situation the yeah. problem might be the dog might be expressing the problem certainly the dog is expressing the problem but dogs are just innocent things there's no such thing as a bad dog there's just a dog that might have had a really hard background or might have been dealt a really rough genetic hand from you know the the instincts it got from its parents for example but no there's no such thing as a bad dog if a, if a dog is doing something that people can't live with um, the situation needs to change. The way the people are dealing with the dog needs to change. But, but that's yeah. the point. So it's it's the way we interact with the dog, not the way the dog interacts with us, that makes the difference. Correct. Yes. Yeah. We're we are the um, we're the boss in that situation. I hate the word boss, but yeah, the dogs are our pets. It's up to yeah. us to understand them. Yeah. What is a, what is a dog going to do to change your behavior? You've got to change your behavior. <laughs> <laughs> You've then morphed this in, and I, and I don't know where the family mediation comes in because you're also a certified mediator when it comes to families that are going through a breakup yes. uh, and divorce. That's not dissimilar, but completely different from, <laughs> from, from the dog work, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's similar in the sense that I end up in my dog work, I translate. I'm a translator between I can tell you why your dog was doing I can tell you what your dog is saying, let's say, and I can understand what the people want, and I translate between the two. Or you could say I mediate between the two. And in my official mediation work, when I'm working with couples who are getting a divorce or just breaking up or they got divorced five years ago, I mediate between them to help them figure out what is best for the dog. And I started doing this work. I'll tell you the story of how this started. Out of pure necessity because I was seeing clients who were calling me because their dog had suddenly become aggressive and was biting the children or was suddenly peeing all over the the favorite family couch or suddenly was attacking the cat when it wasn't before, a whole lot of things. And in exploring what was the problem, what was the reason why the dog was misbehaving suddenly was because at the time of the divorce, Something happened that wasn't in the dog's best interest. So maybe one person got a better lawyer and that person ended up keeping the dog even though the dog was more bonded with the other person. Um, Or let's say people tried to do shared custody with the dog and it was too stressful for... Bruce is making a face. No, no, wait. I I, 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 I couldn't think... I mean, again, my my knowledge of animals is... I grew up on a farm. It's a different relationship with animals. Um, you know, they there. They they they're not the the intensity of the domestic pet. 
But the idea of a shared custody with a dog is something that you can't explain to a dog. It can be explained to a child at a certain age and a child can appreciate the dynamics of what is going on in a broken up relationship. The dog is not going to understand that and it's not going to understand why it's taken from its perfectly happy hole in the garden to a place which is you know, full of concrete, for example, or whatever the case is. It's going to be a little bit surprised. Yes, it is going to be surprised. So what do you do with a couple when they both want to keep the dog then, Bruce? What's your idea? <laughs> no, no, you are the mediator here. So how do you resolve the... I would put, you know, if, if I was going through this and I wanted the dog, I'd just put liver paste on my on, on my fingers and the dog would naturally come to me. And you would say, oh, look, he's bonded with you more than you, so you keep the dog. But yep. then, you, but it's you not would, that simple, is you it? You would never tolerate those underhand activities. How, how Definitely do you mediate not. something that is so intensely emotional? Yeah, you could. It's so intense for people, especially when they don't have children. But the dogs are the substitute children for a lot of couples. So the main focus of my mediation work, what I always bring it back to, is what is good for the dog. Not what do you want person and what do you want other person. We have to keep looking at this from the dog's perspective. And that is the art of what I do. And it's very challenging and it's very delicate. But it's not a science. And this is also, again, mm-hmm. something. Do you have a psychology background? Do you, are you trained uh, in, in human nature in any way other than the harsh reality of the practicalities of dealing with people's dysfunctional relationships with each other and their animals? Yeah. So my mediation training has given me some psychological okay. work. But my main psychological work is working with thousands of dogs and their owners over the last 25. I've been doing this for 25 years. And every time I say that, I feel old. You, but you're absolutely animated <laughs> and, and completely fine. But the moment you say I've been doing this for 25 years, your face creases up. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. Uh, no, no, I'm just being, we don't have cameras, so one yeah. needs to be specific. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, so, it's, so, but it's, it gives you a level of experience and expertise, yes, which yeah. you can't learn out of a book, I'm afraid. You can't learn out of a book. So it's it's all of those years working with, everyone I work with is in some kind of crisis. Nobody calls me because they're having a good time with their dog. So I'm very, very used to, and I'm quite comfortable working with people who are having a hard time. I'm comfortable working with aggressive dogs. I don't, I, I enjoy intense situations and I'm a good steady kind of even keeled kind of person you know I'm I'm certainly not a doctor but I can imagine emergency room doctors kind of have that same sort of quality so that 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 is my background and experiences is, is countless hours working with people who are struggling how do you stay objective you are in the room you don't like him she is lovely yes the dog is better off with him? That question coming up in a moment. Karis Nafti is my guest this evening. She is a human behavioural specialist. Um, She helps mediate in divorce situations. So what should happen to the animals? She is an animal behaviourist, an expert in animal behaviours, and it kind of transitions into the way in which we behave when things get tough and the animal's well-being is at stake. More with her in a moment. The Money Show. Other people's money. Tonight we're ter- testing Karis Nafti, who's an animal behavior expert. She's an accredited family mediator. You don't like him. You like her very much. You have huge sympathy for her situation. He's gone. He's done terrible things. Man things. But he is more bonded with the dog. How do you stay objective in that scenario? She's crying. They box a big box of tissues. Mm-hmm. He's shouty and nasty. How do you make sure that the dog goes to the right, the place that is right for the dog? And because uh, I'm sure that's a real enough situation. 
Of course it's real. You described it perfectly. And I would answer that question in two ways. So the first thing is when I talk to people and they decide if they want to work with me, I tell them that my client is their dog. That is who I'm working for. My job is to make sure that the dog ends up either with the right, whatever the right decision is, however that unfolds. So that's out on the table to start with. And I will bring that back into the conversation if it needs be. But the other way I would answer that question is that the art of mediation is that I don't get to tell people what to do. I will give them my advice, but I am not, I am not a judge. Even if I say you get to keep the dog and you don't, I, you know, I don't have the power no. to make them do it. So I, I can only, even if I'm very good, it doesn't matter how much, how I feel about a person, I want to know the dog is going to be okay. And so even if I hate him and I love her, if the dog is better off with him, then, then that, is, that is where the discussion will go to. It's a very fair question, though. No, it, it's, I'm just curious about it because some people yeah. are just downright nasty. <laughs> if you don't like them, I, I wouldn't. I would lack that ability to uh, to be fair to yeah. the dog, and, yeah. and that's what ultimately that's your focus. Then that understa- that yeah. explains then your ability to be unbiased yes. in the decision making process. And it, you know, it helps. Like when I in the work that I do, we have to look at each dog as an individual. What does this dog need given its specific history so what how did it grow up was it a rescue dog what is the breed of the dog is it a dog that needs four hours of exercise to be happy or is it a dog who just needs a quiet house with lots of tulips you know dogs are very different <laughs> which dog <laughs> breed needs tulips tell me so i never have one that's it you got it. that's a that's a secret i only tell certain people okay. so so we have to look at the specific dog and then what what does that dog need to have a good life? And it isn't just who loves the dog the most. No. It's who gives the dog, yeah. Okay, that. so the business then of yes. what you do. Yes. You are therefore a consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no longevity. You don't get long-term contracts with your clients because this is problem solving and you want to get the problem solved as quickly as possible. It may take one visit. It may take five. But it's a short-term arrangement that you have with people. You advertise yourself and your services how? Do you yeah. go on Instagram and show yourself with happy dogs? Do mm-hmm. is it word of mouth? How does it work? So I do most of my advertising, most of my connecting on LinkedIn, and then I do I do go, I just do the internet. I do Google. People find me on my website, and I do a lot of networking. So I work. Thank heavens for Zoom. I work all over the world. So I've got clients in Australia. I've got clients in the UK. I've got clients in America, and I've got clients here in South Africa. So I work and in Canada. I mean, I I really literally work everywhere. So a lot of my work is through word of mouth with connections that I've developed with divorce lawyers and judges and and people who end up with suddenly there's people in their in their office and they have a dog and they're getting a divorce and they don't know what to do and then they call me. So it's a lot of networking. I spend a lot of my time networking. I talk to a lot of people about what I do and it's taken a long time because in the beginning when I would tell people about what I would do, people would just sort of laugh at me. And I'm like, I no. Imagine <laughs> a lawyer going, Oh, really? We don't need you. Yes. The dog can be given to the SPCA. We don't care what happens to the dog. We're trying to get the biggest cash pile out of him or out of her. Um, and, And they, has it been a recent sort of adaptation of thinking in terms of a more holistic view of what's good for the extended family, animal family and 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 children in the in the arrangement it has i've i've there i'm i've caught this wonderful wave in the work that i do because now all over the world the laws are changing so at the moment now in south africa and in most parts of the world dogs are considered legally property 
which means a dog is not different than a toaster in terms of somebody bought it, somebody owns it, that's it. But the laws are changing in different countries in Europe and in different states that a judge can consider the well-being of a dog in a divorce or a cat. We talk about dogs, but it's all pets. Mm. And that's changing all over the world. So, yes, in the beginning, when I tried to tell people what I was doing, they didn't see the relevance of it, and it's changing completely. Now I do, I give talks all over the world. Um, I present for the American Bar Association and different mediation organizations all over the world. I've just finished my first book. It's like the whole, suddenly now, the world is going, oh, yes, we need this information. (laughs) (laughs) And I teach a course. I teach lawyers what I do. So I have the first accredited course where I teach these very impressive, very intimidating lawyers from all over the world. It's like, well, listen, if you have a doshund, this is what you have to do. (laughs) But but they need the information. So... I have gone through that that thing in my work that I think a lot of people go through when they start something new where if you have an idea and you can see there's a place for it, believe in it. But in the beginning, no one else will believe in what you're doing. They will tell you you're crazy. They'll say, no, do what you're doing. No, people won't like that. But if you believe in it, stick with it even through those first many years. It's not like they're going to like you in a month. Just stick with what you believe in. Keep going and don't give up. How many hours of work do you week? How many hours of work do you week? How many hours a week do you work? I've already worked too many this week. <laughs> so I do. So some days I work five hours. Some days I work one hour. Some days I work ten hours. It just depends on. But do you try yeah. and stick to a forty-hour week? Do you push it to a sixty-hour week? Do you burn the candle at both ends? Do you go with demand? How do you judge what is sufficient for you? That's a good question. I think, no, I haven't gone to a 60-hour week. I haven't had that problem yet. That would be a nice problem to have. No, I have. (laughs) No, no. You know what? Um, It's actually because I see my clients often just once, um, my clients roll over quite quickly. So I can keep my schedule quite manageable. The biggest challenge for me is because I work all over the world is the time change. So I sometimes will start seeing clients at like nine o'clock at night because they're in California and that's the only time they can see me. So that is the biggest challenge if you're going to do sort of an online global business is maybe pick a country or pick a continent so that you can manage your hours because that for me sometimes I have to get up at 4 a.m. to do an Australia client so that that's certainly a challenge uh, treat this any way you like but we need to get an idea of ballpark what what one what might one be able to earn as a specialist in mediation yeah. because you've, you've really niched it Absolutely perfectly. So you're, an, you're a, a rare expert in this environment. Is yeah. this a, a, a 500 rand an hour, a $500 an hour position? It's, it depends on the country. I charge differently if I'm in different countries. So if here in South Africa, it's around about 2,000 rand for an hour. And then overseas, I charge in dollars. So it's about three or $400 an hour. Karis Nafti, thank you very much indeed. Come and share with us your unusual occupation. And we want more unusual occupations. So if you know somebody who is as good a communicator, well, okay, who may have the potential to be as good a communicator as Karis Nafti is, um, she is the catalyst for this idea. We're looking for the way in which people make a living in an ever-changing world. People are doing weird and wonderful things and are making huge contributions to society in ways you'd never imagined. We want more of those sorts of people. Drop me an email, brucew at 702.co.za.